but you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the afternoon. So that's my story, and I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would say that's my story, and that's how I share it, and that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 44. Today's hug, maintaining mental health when diagnosed or dealing with dementia, with Lori LeBay. I am Dr. Tammy West here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. So I met Lori several months ago when she interviewed me on her radio show, Alzheimer Speaks, and I'll, I'll give you a link for that, well, her entire radio show, not just my episode, but in the show notes. And since we both cared for our mothers with dementia, we immediately connected. And I knew I had to have her on our show. She is passionate about dementia awareness and views it differently than some. So I will read her bio and then we will jump in so you can learn from her. Lori LeBay cared for her mother with dementia for 30 years, which by the way, way longer than I care for my mother. She gave up her career to shift the needle in dementia awareness, care, and education, and she said that she would not work anymore in a broken system. Through her passion and dedication, Lori launched Alzheimer's Speaks, an advocacy and media outlet providing multiple platforms shifting perceptions of dementia at home and in healthcare, while creating and exposing new strategies and resources. Lori has been recognized by Oprah as a health hero, by AARP Minnesota as an inspiring leader and disruptor in 2018, by Maria Shriver as an architect of change in 2016, and by Dr. Oz and ShareCare as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's in 2012. I am thrilled that you are going to listen to her today, and without further ado, I present to you Lori LeBay. I I am so excited to have you on the show, and I've already talked in the intro about um, how we connected and just a little bit about you. You know, I've read your bio so people know how, who you are and what you do, um, and I have some questions. So today we're going to talk about dementia and maintaining mental health, whether it's you or, or someone that you're living with or, or being with. Um, so I know there's some things you want to tell people, but I was wondering if you would mind first just telling a little bit about the, just the time with your mom dealing with her dementia and how you came to this conclusion about this broken system. Like, why are you passionate about this? What led to that? Okay. Um, well, that's really easy. I think when you end up being on the edge mental health wise, when you're just feeling overwhelmed, that's a, that's a clue. Something's broken in the system. Mm -hmm. And when you are constantly trying to find support and trying to maintain your life and, and just feeling so out of balance, um, to me, that's the perfect example of a system not functioning well, not supporting um, who it says it's supporting. Um, in terms of either my mom or our family at large. And so it really was um, kind of a, a two-pronged thing. One, of feeling that the system was really broken. Mm -hmm. And two, coming to this realization that there can really be joy with dementia. And so many people think that it, you know, it's all doom and gloom. 
you know, and I think they do with any chronic illness. It's, it's sad, you know, they just kind of kick you to the curb. They think it's almost contagious. Um, it's oh. all about how uncomfortable everyone else feels, not realizing how uncomfortable um, they're making everyone else on top of dealing with a chronic illness. And so, you know, part of the issue there, I think, is getting people to speak authentically, not be afraid to say what life is really like, and to have these conversations. And I didn't see that happening at all. And I'm, I'm an open book in my life. I always have been. And so for me, it was really, it felt very dysfunctional to have to try to pretend everything was okay all the time when it really truly wasn't. Yeah. Or when you found that place of joy, people looking at you like, well, that's not possible. You know, how could that happen? You know, that, that is such an interesting point that you make. And you and I have talked and you know my mom's story. It was really strange that because in the midst of, um, the 25 phone calls a day and then the the phone calls her being in the hospital and just all of the things that were going on there were these times that were so wonderful and joyful and it did feel weird to talk about it because sometimes if you would talk to someone else who had dementia in their family especially you know with trying to maintain our mental well-being but you would you would talk about that and you didn't always, I didn't always get the best reception sometimes because people have such difficult experiences that they don't necessarily want to hear about the joy if they aren't able to find it themselves. Oh, oh, exactly. I, I, I ran into that a lot. In fact, um, online, there's a lot of bullying that goes on regarding that. Bullying. People live, oh, oh significant bullying. Interesting. So, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So patients who you know are living with um, any type of chronic illness, and again, I've seen this specifically in the world of dementia, but I've heard it happening for many others when they speak out and they talk about trying to live a full life and have quality of life and do uh, different things. I know where you're going with this. Keep <laughs> People say, um, you're a fake. There's no way you can be doing what you're doing. My loved one can't do that. Well, your loved one may not want to do that. They might not have a passion to be a spokesperson and an advocate, or the disease might have progressed further. Uh, and so, I mean, they get hateful, hateful comments. I mean, nasty, in, in my opinion, that should be pulled from social media, mm -hmm. um, aren't always. And so then you end up having to block somebody. I, I still get messages saying, you know, why do I, why do I feed into these frauds? You know, I'm, a, I'm a boy. And so they, they attack people like me, not just me, but many, many others that support um, patient advocates. And, you know, it's just this black and white. There's, there's no, um, hmm. there's no making sense. There's no logic behind it. And, and then I truly believe that a lot of people, and they've, they've told me this, People that are patient advocates feel that it does give them a quality of life and it does help fend off many of um, their symptoms because yeah, yeah. they're feeling purposeful and engaged and there can be a lot of resentment with that too, which just breaks my heart because I'm, I'm a person that, you know, I like to be happy for people when things are going well. Yes, yes. That's a wonderful place to be. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's a very 
difficult thing for the person diagnosed as, and as well as their family and friends in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you cross the river and what rocks are safe to step on? And, you know, it can be that crushed egg syndrome, you know, all the time of, of what am I going to say that's going to offend somebody or if I don't do something right? Uh, there's so many unknowns. Because again, people just don't have an, uh, an honest conversation and say, does this help? You know, um, does this irritate you when they see or feel that it's irritating somebody, then address it. You know, don't just keep sweeping it under the rug because pretty soon there's a big pile and someone's going to trip, <laughs> you know, um, but we don't do that as a society. Well, that's why I'm so, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you have the passion for this and that, that you're out there talking about this and trying to change the conversation, especially when it comes to the topic today, which is maintaining mental health when there is a, a dementia diagnosis. And I think you've already kind of jumped in a little bit, even through our introduction about the, the tips that you want to give. So if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and just, there's a, just a few things I thought I would ask you for sure. go on that, um, because it can be very challenging, even in the best case scenario, dealing with dementia can be hard. Um, and you're here to help people with mental health challenges that can go along with it. So can you tell us a little bit about when we talk about mental health and dementia, like whose mental health is challenged um, when there's a diagnosis, like person, family, whose mental health are we talking about today? Who's challenged? Everybody, because people, <laughs> people don't deal with change. And this is a significant change that's going to uproot the way life has always been. I, I don't care if it's dementia or any other type of chronic illness, life as you know it is going to change significantly. And so, you know, the patient themselves, um, the person being diagnosed with dementia or, or any other chronic illness, you know, is going to go through um, some grief and some suffering and some who am I now? What can I expect? I mean, all of those, all of those things are really normal. And, you know, they need to be able to process that. But I think it really helps if we can hook them up with others that have been diagnosed with, with something similar. Um, so, for example, with dementia, there is a, a group called Dementia Mentors, and it is people with dementia that does kind of one-on-one -on -one, um, conversations with people saying, you know, I know what it looks like and it feels like after a diagnosis, when your loved ones look at you differently, when they hug you differently, um, when the conversations change, when all of a sudden it's like you're not competent and people are asking someone else about something you've always done, you know, when it's in the earlier stages. Um, and so they are a tremendous support and help get them engaged with, with others um, dealing with dementia. And, and that helps lift them up. Um, again, grief is normal, but you don't want to stay down there the whole time. Dementia. So they really, they, yeah, so they really try to empower them and say, there's a whole other side to this in terms of advocacy and purpose. And many will say they've never felt so purposeful in their whole life as they do now on this journey with dementia. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, that's a road you have to cross, you know, to, to get to. Um, <clears throat> but that's what, what many will say. Then, of course, there's, you know, if it's a spouse situation, everything has changed at that point because you know now you're going to be in charge of pretty much everything you're going to be responsible even if they still are doing some of the tasks 
the spouse still feels like they have to kind of double check and yeah. make sure things are done correctly, especially when it comes to banking and those things, or maybe they've never done the banking and now they're in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the oil changed and the car maintenance, you know, if it's, if it's a husband who's always done those types of things. Um, if it's a wife, you know, a husband might have to learn how to cook and clean that, you know, just hasn't been his thing. And yeah. so <clears throat> things, things definitely change. Uh, and then as a family, you have the kids that want to help, but how do they help without upsetting their parents? Um, you know, how do they bring comfort? How do they yeah. bring support? And, and then you have the, and those are the adult children, and they're trying to balance their own life, their own career, plus now taking care of parents. And, and so it gets complicated really quick. I remember meeting with a, a group that a social worker had me come to speak with, and, and this was when I was in real estate. And she said, I know you usually talk about getting the house prepared and, and things. And she said, well, can I just be blunt? And I said, yeah. And she's like, this group just wants to know why the hell their parents are so mad at them. Can you, can you explain that? And so what I did with them was I, you know, I tried to refocus in terms of what it's like to be their parents what they're dealing with just with aging in general. And then you add in. Yeah, that's big right there on I mean, just aging. Sorry, but yeah. 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 And so little things like, you know, we'll just get it. It's up in the, it's up in the closet. Well, it's up on the top and you know, they're not comfortable always on little ladders or step stools or reaching can be painful. They can lose their balance. Um, cleaning out and weeding out if they're looking at a move. Um, I'll use an example myself. I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna. My mom was a pack rat, so I thought, okay, I'm gonna start simple. I'm gonna go to the linen closet. I almost killed her, herself and me going through the linen closet because she had like a hundred washcloths for two people, and oh it was gosh. like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and some of them were were brand new and others were just raised. It's like, give them to dad for the garage and outside. And, and it was just, it, it didn't make any sense to me, but they were all precious to her, but she grew up in a whole different generation where you used everything. You didn't throw them away. And so our motives of going through things are extremely different. And, and during this class at the end, I had like three, um, three women come up to me just in tears going, well, no wonder she hates me. I've been doing everything wrong. And so again, it was just about having a simple conversation because many times um, if a person is elderly, they don't want to ask for help because they don't want to lose their independence. Same thing goes with a person with dementia or mental illness or whatever. Nobody wants to lose that. So they stay quiet and they usually don't want to be a burden to somebody else. Those are the two things that weigh on them. Mm -hmm. And then you have the family that has ideas um, and is doing all this searching and gathering of information, trying to help, but they don't want to say anything because they don't want to offend them and they don't want to get in a fight. And oh my God, if they agree with me, then I have all this other stuff to do. Yes. So, so they stay quiet. And then if there's a professional in the works, the professional is just seen as a, you know, money grubbing person who wants money to help with a task. And so it's about getting all of those parties working in the best interest, you know, of the true client, the person diagnosed. And then you have, you know, children 
It could be um, the adult children's kids, so the grandkids to maybe a, a, somebody with dementia. They know everything has changed in the family, but the family doesn't want to burden them with what's going on. And now they're second fiddle when they used to be in first position and they don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And they have all this energy and they want to help, but we've denied them that because we haven't told them the story or the full story because we're still trying to figure it out. Um, it is many times the cases there. So, um, you know, and children can, can offer so much because they don't, they don't categorize as much. They, um, they're just more free spirits and more expect, accepting, more creative, yeah. more, more loving, um, more in the moment. You know, they don't, typically they don't have, especially if it's young children, you know, they don't have a phone or a pager they're worried that's going to go off or an email that's going to ding at them. They don't have those things. Right. And so I think we have to, again, be more authentic, look at our true team as a whole, because typically everybody wants to help if they can. And again, you have some members and families that don't want to help because they haven't had the best of relationships either. And, and that's something that has to be discussed and, and honored as well, you know, but it's very times, complex. Yeah. Many times we try to control everybody. I know I did in my family and I didn't even realize it, mm -hmm. you know, until my brother said, well, you know, you're kind of a control freak. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not a control. I just can do this. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, a couple things, um, come to mind about this. First thing I, I just wanted to clarify and I'll put it in the show notes, the dementia mentors, is that geared toward the person with the diagnosis specifically? Yeah. Okay. So I will put a link to that. I will make sure I get that from you. And my, my the second thing was really just kind of a follow-up question. Um, through my mom's whole time, I, no one, I never, no one recommended to me like, and I'm not faulting them for this, but the doctor or for a time, you know, she was in the assisted living or not the neurologist, none of them ever suggested for us to seek out help and resources. And, and honestly, we just, we didn't. So do you think doctors should do a better job of, of oh, yeah. testing this to the family? Oh, that's a hands down globally. That is like the number one complaint. Okay. That's, um, you know, and, and typically what people say anywhere in the world, they pretty much have the same story. We went in, we knew there was something wrong. They give us a diagnosis. They give us a prescription. They give us a next appointment. And on the way out, they say, and don't forget to get your affairs in order. It's not going to be long. And if they're lucky, they might get a number to the Alzheimer's Association. And, and that is fine, but there are a lot of other places for support. And I mean, I've even approached clinics and said, here's a list of resources. You know, just hand this out. They don't. And if you don't want to spend the money for printing, email it to them. I mean, there's so many ways, you know, but it's if they haven't vetted it themselves or if it's not their program, there's this um, there's this distrust, yeah. I think, out there, which is it's so sad because people, you know, when I speak, I don't give out my PowerPoint presentations. I give out a list of resources because that's what I wanted you know, was connect me and let me be the judge of what's going to work for me and my family. You don't judge. That's right. not your place. 
you know, but you should be offering um, tips and, and tools, you know, for that. And maybe not even at the first appointment, maybe a follow-up call or mail, mm -hmm. um, because it's just so much to take in. Gosh, to have, to have had resources. And actually I'm sitting here like thinking, well, duh, how could I have known? Why did I not think? And I, and I think even like, people like you or me or those of us who are sort of in the in the help world or, or we speak or we have a passion but but oftentimes in the beginning when it comes to us and our own family sometimes you just forget because you're just in the middle of it and your self-help growth persona just sort of goes away for a while and I was like wow I, I just didn't think about it so um I know we're going to talk and they don't tell you that there's an association or that there are groups to reach out to. I mean, usually that's not mentioned. So you don't know what you don't know True. until you kind of stumble upon it. And I think more people are out there Googling things. But, you know, like 30 years ago, you didn't Google. There was not a Google. You know, it, it really, it wasn't a path. And so that helps. But again, Google gets very overwhelming as well. It does. Yeah. It does. Well, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about family too. I've got to, you know, I'll ask you some more questions there, but let's, let's talk because you talked about the, the, um, dementia mentor. So let's talk a little bit about the person. Um, I think we tend to think about the person diagnosed with dementia as really not having much control over their lives, but that's not always the case, it, especially maybe early on. So how, how can those if someone's listening who's diagnosed, how can they maintain this seesaw of living with this chronic illness? What would you tell them to do? Well, again, I would contact their, their care partners, caregivers, carers, you know, wherever, whatever term that they use and, and have a specific conversation about quality of life and how they want to live it. So they you should know? think this through. Is that what you, is yeah. you have the capability to do it? Think about what you want. Exactly. And if they do get their papers in order, you know, they'll, they'll have to think about some of those things. But it's, it's things that go above and beyond, you know, just, I don't want a feeding tube. I don't want to be on life support. It's like, when do I stop driving? Mm. When does the checkbook or my debit card, um, when do I hand that over? Um, you know, it's, it's uh, when is it time to wear an ID bracelet? And do I wear one alone or will you wear one with me? Because if something happens to you, I'm going to be lost and people need to know that. Oh, wow. You know, um, so there, there's so many different levels and I think it's much easier as families if we can do things like that together, mm. you know, so if I had my mom and let's say, let's say I would have gotten in a, in a car accident, they would have known she needed to be taken care of. But if I was caring for my mom and I had a heart attack or a stroke and, and I didn't have her with me, they wouldn't know that I had somebody wow. in immediate danger who needs support. And so these, these bracelets are extremely important. They have them with the, the USBs that you can have contact information. You can have a form. Um, we actually at our, our Roseville um, Alzheimer's and dementia community uh, action team put together. Um, uh, it's a it's for travel, but it lists all the different health issues and stuff. And there's that, that people need to know about. So if they're communicating with the person with dementia, if they're hard of hearing, or if their sight is poor, that's going to give somebody a cue. 
um, who, who can assist in that situation. There are also cards that say, you know, I have dementia, please be patient with me. And then on the back of those, we've added, um, this, is my, this is my care partner. If I appear lost or confused, please contact them. And then for the care partner, it says, I'm with somebody with dementia, please be patient with us. And then on the back side, it says, this is the person I'm caring for. If something were to happen to me, this is who you contact. Now, you you well, said that we have these cards and you may have already sent this to me. If not, do you have um, a couple things? You're talking about these cards and then the, um, the, the bracelets and even a checklist of, of things that the, the person with the diagnosis might be thinking about. Do you have those? I can send you, I can send you the cards and I can send you even like the, the health form too. Cause I think that that's something you can just even put in your car, in your purse, in your wallet. Um, you know, if you have one of those vials for life, that's a good place to put it in. Um, the cards I can send you, the bracelets, they're constantly changing what's out there um, in those. But if somebody just Googles um, health bracelets, a lot of different ones will, will pop up. Okay. Um, or the USB ones if they want to download the information, but you just want to make sure that you don't put in social security numbers and things like that um, because you know it's it's internet based and so you have to be a little a little wary of of some of those things. Okay, well I'll put anything that you send me, any links and the advice about Googling, all of that I'll put in the show notes so people okay. can and have access to that because I really love that that. Those are some things that I hadn't thought about. But what it also leads me to remember is that still a lot of responsibility on that. And you're referring to by care partner, you're talking about whoever is, is, is working. Cause I love the way you said that instead of, I'm assuming you haven't told me this, but instead of caregiver, care partner indicates that you're working together. Yep, exactly. Care partner, care companion is, is what I always teach people. I said, cause we always wonder why caregivers are burnt out. Well, <laughs> Look at the word. It says uh, I'm caregiving. It's it's a one way street. I, you know I can't get anything back. And a lot of people I think approach it like that. You know, and we get really task oriented. And I was like that until one day when I um, I responded to my mom's um, repetitive questions of 45 times in one yes. minute, and I didn't think it was funny. And I and I and I snapped at her really bad. And then I created what's called your memory chip which helped me switch my focus because a lot of times we get so task oriented and we look at our, we look at our to-do list and it's all about the person. Mm -hmm. But what we're forgetting is people will remember how we make them feel, not what we do. And so instead of focusing on my, my to-do list, I, I decided to focus on three simple things. Was she safe? Was she happy? Was she pain-free? And that allowed us to be, you know, mother, daughter first, friends, and and really why I was there in the first place, yes. you know, and and that that made made it easier for me to let go of a lot of things. It made it easier for me to ask for help from others um, to get rid of some stuff that I didn't even really need to do. Um, but I had it there because it made me feel good. And I didn't know that I had some of those things on my list. But when you're dealing with a chronic illness, mm -hmm. when there really is no cure and not much you can do. You know, when you're caring for someone, you're just grabbing at straws going, well, this will help. This will help. This will help. And, and then when you sit back and go, wow, that was really more for me than for them. 
Well, I'm assuming that some of those things that you said, because because you you helped a little bit with those listening who maybe ha who have the dementia diagnosis. What about what about the care partners? You know, what how would you suggest that they take care of themselves? You've given us a little bit. Were there other things that you would want them to know? Uh, well, I, I think. I think with both the person diagnosed and their care partners, they have to continue to live life. They have to continue to be connected with, with friends and family. They do. And some family and friends will fall away. And they just aren't, you know, they say everybody comes into your life for a season and it's not their season to be with you right now. Mm -hmm. But there are others. So don't stop looking. Um, that understand your journey, have compassion for it, that, that can learn from you and that you can learn from them. And, and so, you know, for me, I, I pushed all my friends away when I was caring for my mom and my dad. Did you? And I, I just, I, I didn't have time and they really became a nuisance to me, to be honest. That's how I looked at them. Stop bugging me to go have coffee. It felt like one more thing you had to do. Yeah. Right? Like a task. It really did. And so one day I had a really bad day. Um, I had just left visiting my folks and I was just shaking my head because things had gotten worse. And they're like, come on for coffee. And, and I remember saying, you know, I'll give you 10 minutes. Like I'm the queen bee, roll out the red carpet. Here I come. You're going to get me for 10 minutes. How lucky are you? And really the only reason I said yes was to get them off my back but I was so grateful that they didn't give up on me mm. because what I didn't realize until I went to coffee, which I thought was going to be for two, 10 minutes, lasted for two hours. We laughed and we cried together. Wow. And I did not know until that moment how empty I had become. And we cannot care for somebody else if we're not full, if we're not balanced. No, we'll still do it, but it's not going to be the best we can be. I love that you said that from personal experience, because I think if you were to Google tips for like maintaining your mental health and taking care of yourself when you're, you're caring or partnering with someone that, that's diagnosed with something chronic, I think you would find that on there, right? Make sure to maintain your connections, but to hear it from you, and to hear the emotion in your voice and, and, and the way that you said that you told them you give them 10 minutes and here I come, ooh, you know, I'm the, that just put it into such great perspective for anyone listening who's, who's dealing with that in their lives because it's, you gave your personal story, you actually threw out there the part that you played in it and then how that changed you. That was really powerful. I, I really love that you shared that. Well, and again, I, I, I'm all about the authentic voice. I don't think any of us should be embarrassed over the feelings we have. You know, our emotions are normal. They're, they're going to swing all day long. Um, you know, pop out of bed and just be in one mood all day. And if you do, there's probably another issue that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. You know, because <laughs> that's not, I don't think that that's normal. You know, people will cut you off driving. Um, somebody might, it yes, might be yeah. a spam call. It could be your internet's not working. It could be a million different things, but those are going to be like little triggers. And it's just, you know, it's going to affect and impact you. And it, to me, it just shows how, how entwined we all are and how we're affected by one another. And that we have to understand that uh, any of our reactions are going to affect somebody else just like they affect us. 
and, and that's just life. And when we get into trouble is when our reactions aren't, um, aren't healthy. Because life know, but, will go on through this, this diagnosis. Life is not going to stop. Yeah. And, and you can have that range of emotions. And again, I don't think, I personally don't think it's healthy to hide those things because I do think they just build up and swell. And, and I think most of us have probably snapped on somebody who didn't deserve it, but they were, it was yes. just like the last straw. And, and, you know, that doesn't feel good for anybody, you know, to do that. Um, but again, some people don't like to talk about emotions. They see it as a weakness. Mm -hmm. I see it as a strength. I, 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 yeah, I think vulnerability, um, being vulnerable and authentic to yourself is one of the most powerful tools that we all have. Yes, admitting that you need help, admitting the days when you fell short, talking freely about the times when you're angry. Yeah, that's what gets all that out. So you, you've given some great tips about, you know, the person with diagnosis, the care partner. Earlier, you talked about though those other people in the family, you know, those that may not be directly involved they left, they're forgotten. How, what do you say to them or to those who, what do they do? Well, I think one, one that I hear the most about is those long distance caregivers or those people who are maybe around but choose not to be. And they are typically perceived by the person with dementia in the earlier stages and the care partner as very judging and unknowing of what truly is happening. So I think, um, you know, when any of us takes a glimpse at our life, mm -hmm. all we're getting is a really small shot, really small shot in terms of what is going on. And so to stay connected to those people who really are on the front lines and being open to hearing the true story, because what they see in a half an hour visit every few months is very different from a 24-7 perspective. Okay. And the person with dementia who's capable of still um, communicating will tell you that. And so will the, the care partner. And so, and again, sometimes there's a lot of distrust in families in terms of what's going on and, you know, money can become an issue. Everything but the person can become the, you know, kind of that background agenda mode mm -hmm. um, that, that just starts triggers going off, you know, all the time. I found for myself, um, for my brothers who chose not to be around for whatever reasons, um, that once I was able to let go of trying to fix them, uh, I had a lot more peace. I had a lot more time to be a, a daughter to my mother and my parents. And But that situation didn't come about until we had this conversation about control freak or, or being organized. And then I started sharing stories and, you know, about my experience with my mom and dad. And they were like, well, where are you, where are you getting all these stories? And I'll never forget my older brother asking me that. And I, I was just dumbfounded going, well, I was there. And then my heart got really sad thinking, oh my gosh, they don't have any of these stories. Wow. And I, and I could tell by the conversation that they knew they missed out. Um, 
Now, did they live? Did they live locally, or did they live? No, they lived locally. Okay. And and one of them, you know, wasn't even working. You know, he had plenty of time, but just didn't. Um, the other one uh, ended up moving out of state, so it was it was more difficult at times. But um, you know, and did a lot of traveling and things. But again, it's about what what do you want? you know, in life. And sometimes it can be even, you know, in-laws um, or the person that you're married to doesn't want you to give that time there. They want it at their home. I mean, so there can be so many different dynamics that come into play um, with with all of that, why they're, why they're not showing up. It could be that they just can't um, deal with it on an emotional basis because they've always stuffed it and it's just too difficult mm -hmm. to see the transitions. But I think, you know, we have to look at ourselves and go, we're not the same person we used to be either. Right. And, and a lot of times we don't come from that perspective. We think we're still the same and we're not. It's interesting because you started this part by talking about um, the person the, the people who aren't doing the caregiving being judgmental of the person who is and what's happening. And, but then it also, and you kind of shifted to that a little bit, it can go the other way that the care partner then becomes critical or judgy or whatever of the people who aren't involved. And you, you've kind of, my mind is going a little bit crazy here because I was, I was in both of those shoes and it's so complex. You know, there was a time period where I was not, caring for my mother much at all, but my sister was, and then that shifted for a while. Um, and it's very complex when you talked about like why the, your brothers didn't and you weren't critical or judgmental at all. But the time period I know that I wasn't doing much with my mom, you and I have talked and I think most people know my mother had mental health issues. So it was very complex before the dementia diagnosis ever got there. Um, and I had to remove myself somewhat from her life for a while but boy you, and you just said too then you become a different person and it really changes who you are and the way that you interact with that person with that diagnosis I, I don't know if I'm making any sense at all but it is a very complex relationship between everybody in that family and it changes um, oh no I, I totally agree and I I was judgmental with my brothers, and when I uh, when I would get the most judgmental was when I was feeling like I was spinning out of control and I needed help. And where the hell are they? What's wrong with them? I mean, that's right where my mind would go. You know how how can they abandon my folks? I mean, I got very judgmental, and then you know after realizing that uh, and accepting that that is their journey, it's not mine. I'm not responsible for their journey in life. Mm. They have choices, they have consequences, just like I do. And, you know, but I, I grew up, I'm 60 years old. I grew up as a little girl that, you know, you were supposed to keep the family together. You're supposed to, everything's supposed to be, you know, just hunky dory. And so I, that's what I kept trying to do. And finally, when I, I got to the point, and it was really a, a spiritual journey for me of looking at the world very differently and letting go, let you know, letting letting go and letting God just take over, you know, and say, I, I can only do so much, you know, and we all know the saying that you can only do the best you can with the resources you have in the in the moment that you're given. 
but the beauty is you'll always have another moment. So you're, you have this ability to learn a lesson from something that didn't go so well, mm -hmm. or, you know, you can stuff it and kick it away and pretend like nothing ever happened, or you can tell yourself it worked just perfectly fine and be in denial and keep repeating it. You know, we have, we have these choices that we can make. And, and for me, knowing that I can only do the best I can in every moment I've given and try not to beat myself up too bad and, and look at the lesson within the situation so that I can do better next time. But for me, that wasn't enough that I needed to be able to share those lessons with others to help maybe alleviate some of the frustration and angst and, and things that, that we went through as a family which you're doing and you know just one more quick thing about that and then we'll we'll wrap up with just a couple of things but two things you said um one was about god and and like you so one of the things that i really lived on was that i believe that it's important for me as a as a christian person to um honor my parents that didn't mean that i had to be with her every second but it was always very important to me and i that was my foundation that Am I sort of like, and you said, is she happy, healthy, and safe? And mm -hmm. I would say, you know, am I honoring my mom in this? And so I love that you talked about that. I think you have to have some foundation that you use to guide your life to help guide you through this as well. And the other thing that you said um, when you were talking about your brother, um, and you said you chose, you, you're not responsible for his journey. So I'm just, I guess my quick question is would you say that you were very careful about, about, staying aware that this was your choice to care for your mother and be with her in this way that no one was forcing you to do it. Is yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, you know, when I was on the journey, how conscious of it all that I really was really because it's moving so fast. It is. I, I think the day that I really realized that, um, you know, then, then you become more conscious, you carry that with you and it supports you yeah. through that and, and it helps you not, judge others that don't make the same choice because it's so easy to do and believe me i'm sure my sister and i will we're all sorts of judging each other <laughs> at different points along our journey um so you, you've talked a lot in our time together about the tips helping people but what are some warning signs maybe this is what we can kind of end with what are some warning signs that things may not be going well because i don't think everyone knows for sure that things are not going well until they look back and see that they weren't Maybe you uh, help them. I, I would I would say that's very true, you know, because you're going at such a fast pace, plus you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. I would really look at your routines. Have they changed and why have they changed? How, how you know, is your mood different? Are you feeling down more or more angry? Mm -hmm. um, or are you being uplifted? You know, what what's going on with you? Um, what's your self-talk? I don't know about you, but I got a big, nasty inner critic that just loves to beat me up and, oh, yeah, schmuck. Yeah. Our hands are raised here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I literally, with my inner critic, say, I heard you. I accept what you have to say. Now go away. I'm done with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just only, you know, let that inner critic have their voice and then just kind of kick them to the curb. And then I think, um, are your reactions to others and events and um, 
you know, have in, in environments, are your reactions different mm -hmm. than what they used to be? And and for a lot of this, um, I think it's sad to say, but it's it, it, you find it more on the negative side, you know, um, when you're out of balance. Um, most of us don't go into this overly joyful mood. You know, it's the overwhelmingness, it's the anxiety, it's the exhaustion. All of those things um, can get us to be maybe a little bit more snappy. A lot of people will say, well, I just don't feel myself. Be more specific. Yes. It's, it's, until you figure out what your triggers are, you can't change them. And, and it could be environments. It could be, I mean, certain people sometimes even visiting can be a trigger to a person with dementia or a care partner. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some history there. Um, that's making it uncomfortable. And so do you talk through that or do you just not be there when that occurs? You know, what's the, what's the situation? Um, maybe it's time to, you know, go see a doctor. I remember going in um, to the doctor because I was just so tired and, and I was more anxious and they gave me a little anxiety pill, which I didn't really feel much difference when I took. And then, you know, I had an upset stomach, so I had acid reflux and and then I was even having um, some asthmatic symptoms, wow. you know, and after, after the journey finished with my mom and dad, all three of those went away. Wow. Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. Not that I don't expect you to give any medical advice, but uh, well, first of all, I'll put those, I think those are some really good questions and I'm going to put them in the show notes just this, so that people can, you know, if, if you're listening, you can have a visual and even if you want to print that out, you know, mm -hmm. ask yourself these questions. And what I was going to say is if the answer to those questions are um, the warning signs that you're having trouble, I guess you would just say, talk to your doctor, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, or and, and part of it could be, you know, talk to a friend or someone who's willing to support you um, through this. Because sometimes we just need to be heard. We need to process things through. Um, you know, you might not necessarily need a medication. I think sometimes those are easily given and easily received, you know, because we just want a quick fix because we got stuff on our plate to do. Um, too, you know, for me, I ended up getting... Um, aligning with more, I guess, liked mind people. I started exploring spirituality at a, at a whole different level I never did before. And, and all of that, you know, also helped me as well. Um, but again, if, you know, many times, and statistics prove that a care partner may pass before the person they're caring for because okay. of the strain on their body, um, mind and soul. And so, you know, you, you got to catch those things early Wow! Um, and you have to be able to, to vent. Um, one of the, the um, exercises I do when I speak is I have people stand up and pair off and stand up and do kind of palm to palm, hold, hold hands up, palm to palm and touch, and then visualize a line on the floor. And, and I want them to push to get into the other space. And so everybody kind of gets in their sumo wrestler mode and they're pushing and grunting. And, you know, we explain that in this scenario, it's a win or lose mode. That's how it's set up to be. Someone's going to win and get in someone else's space and occupy that space. And someone's going to lose their, their privacy and their personal space. 
and then I have them do it a second time. And the second time I have one person pushing across that line. And the next time in, uh, in, in that incident, um, I have the other person receive them, support them, kind of dance with them. I call it a hand dance. And the whole mood changes. And what I talk about there is that most of us just, we don't necessarily need to be fixed. We need to be supported. We need to know someone's going to be there to hear whatever we have to say that'll stand by us no matter what we do, um, even when we know it's wrong. Um, but they'll still be our friend. They'll, they'll still be there and they will allow me to vent without having to fix me. And I think that that is a um, extremely important thing to have in your life. And if you don't have that, I highly recommend looking for that. Get that. Yeah, you even you even started early on in our conversation with, you know, getting like not isolating yourself and maintaining those relationships in your life. That was that was amazing, Lori. It was a great visual too. I love that. And I will definitely put your information too if 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 people are interested in in having you come speak. Um, did we miss anything? Because I feel like you shared a wealth of information. Yeah, the, the um, one other thing I'd like to share is just another great support for families and people with dementia is, uh, it's called Your Memory, no, it's not called Your Memory uh, Chip, that's <laughs> my other tool. It's called a Memory Cafe. And memory cafes are, I hate to even call them a support group because I didn't want to go to a support group because I didn't have time to do one more thing like you mentioned earlier. Um, but a support group is for a person with early to mid memory loss and their care partner to come together and meet like-minded people who are on the same journey. So there's, it's a very safe place. Everybody understands it's not about being perfect or, or putting on a show that life is okay. And I say it's kind of like a, a bridge club or a bowling league. You don't show up for the equipment. You show up for the camaraderie. And these people support each other. And it's not about separating the people with dementia from their care partners. It's about learning to live graciously with this disease. You know? Learning to live graciously. That's definitely going as a, a visual for people to see. That's really beautiful. So I can put a link to that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you information uh, to, to that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know whoever's listening needed to hear what you had to say, and I will definitely put all the information for your, your great website and just all the things that you've shared um, so people can go and, and get these resources and live a gracious life. The care partner, the family, the person with diagnosis, all of them. So I just, I just can't thank you enough. You were amazing. Well, thank you. I just thought of one last thing too. Um, the dementia chats that I do, uh, you know, along with the, the radio show, they'll just get a, a ton of information that's mixed from, um, you know, research based to families, to people with the disease and, and businesses and authors. So if they're looking for resources, that's a, a great thing that you can be cooking dinner to and listening to at the same time. Okay. If, that's uh, yeah. And if that's a, a podcast, so people can do that. Anytime. And the other is dementia chats where I facilitate a conversation with a panel of people with dementia. And what is nice is sometimes we can't have the same conversations with our loved ones as, as we can with somebody else. 
or will hear it differently. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have that opportunity of, of hearing how other people with dementia are living with it, what they'd like the world to be like, how they want to be communicated like uh, with, um, you know, what it's like for them to struggle when they have pain, um, how worried they are about you as a care partner and what supports they'd like to see for you. Sometimes um, those conversations are just, you know, really eye-opening in the journey as well. Well, I'm going to check all of that out. I mean, I've, I've looked at your, your things in your website. And of course, I've listened to a few of your podcasts, um, but I'm going to check out all of the things that you have to offer. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Lori. I loved our time together, and I know everybody will want to stay in touch with you, and I'm sure that you and I will be talking again. I sure hope so. Thank you for all Thanks, the wonderful Lori. work you're doing. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. And sadly, that's our time for today. You know, the effects of dementia on mental health can be so devastating. I hope this helped you and or someone that you love. Please pass the show link along to a friend or two so they can get that help as well. And I would love for you to subscribe and download and review wherever you are listening, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever. And head over to TammyWest.com if you'd like to get information for me to speak at your next event, which I would love to do. And you will also find the promised links and voice contact info. Um, please follow me on Facebook, which is my primary social media home. I need to do better on the others, but so far, not so much. Uh, so my Facebook is facebook.com slash Tammy West Seminars. Thank you so much for listening and growing our special community. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal. I pray that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and to others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.